my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with the global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. And today we will be flipping the script a little bit. Um, so there's not going to be a third voice on this podcast. We are going to be exploring loss and grief, which I didn't have to search outside of our office for an expert on this, literally has written the book on it or a book on it. Um, so I will be interviewing Dr. Liz Crow, who whose current work is as a staff wellbeing consultant at Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. And uh, that is broad and varied work to say the least. Um, But Liz is, uh, importantly to this subject, Liz's background is decades, plural, in paediatric social work, critical care social work, um, and has dealt with a lot of loss and grief over that time and supported people through it. So Liz, can you give us a little bit of your origin story? I certainly can. Thanks, Jesse. So yeah, as Jesse just said, um, I'm a social worker by trade. I worked as the senior social worker in the paediatric intensive care unit at the Queensland Children's Hospital for a couple of decades. Prior to that, did a lot of loss of grief work throughout paediatrics, so working in oncology, emergency department, burns, uh, cardiac, cardiac surgery, cardiology, uh, uh, right across the paediatric um, setting, mainly with a lot with children with life-limiting conditions, uh, including children with cancer and oncology. So working with babies and children with a whole range of illnesses and injuries that um, obviously were devastating at times for families and sometimes also um, included the child going on to palliative care or and or dying. So a lot of experience. We are going to draw some boundaries around we're not exploring different socio-cultural experiences of loss and grief. We're more generally looking at um, some of, I guess, the more Western-centric experiences, but we are certainly going to be delving into other areas with forthcoming episodes. That's right. And we are going to do a recording soon on five things with uh, a lovely First Nations persons from this hospital talking about sorry business. And we will endeavour to find people from other faith-based or cultural backgrounds around loss and grief. But today we're just going to really explore it broadly because even though loss and grief is at the centre of all of our lives at some point and also at the centre of every famous song, country and western rock, doesn't matter what it is, every famous poem, every famous movie uh, has a centre of loss and grief. We're still on the whole pretty uncomfortable to talk about it. Yeah. So we'll waste no further time and just jump in. So your point number one is what is loss and grief and I guess subtext to that, what it is not. Yeah. Maybe. That's right. So people use the terms loss and grief all the time, but often don't have a very clear idea in their own minds what they're talking about. And also we often don't have a shared definition. We're coming from a different framework. So essentially loss is when something that has been important, significant to you 
and you no longer have access to it with that. So it's not just about loss associated with death or loss associated with injury or illness. It can be as simple as, you know, moving house, even though you've bought a new house and you're excited about moving to a new place. It's the loss of memories, the loss of history, the loss of the neighbours, the loss of that street, um, that period and point of time. It can be losses that are associated with things that are hard to see. So someone who decides that they no longer have a faith, uh, the loss of an an existential thing. Uh, It can be loss of something, you know, like getting older, (laughs) you know, loss of your eyesight. You know, it doesn't have to be something significant, you know, something that's a world event but it's something that's significant to you and it doesn't have to be the loss of a person. It can be the loss of a relationship, the loss of a pet, the loss of something um, tangible, you know, a whole range of things. Grief, on the other hand, is often the expression of that loss. And grief can be experienced physically, emotionally, um, existentially. So grief is how it manifests. So lots of people think when we're talking about grief, we're talking about tears. Uh, that's, that is just one small component of the way that people grieve. So some other physical ways people might grieve, you might get diarrhea, you might get constipation, you mightn't be able to stop eating, you mightn't be able to eat anything. Your sleep may be disturbed or maybe you actually find it really hard to wake up and to get going. Um, you can have headaches, you can grind your teeth, you can get mouth ulcers, uh, it. grief can present itself in so many ways and sometimes people can be grieving either physically or spiritually and not even realise that that's that's what's going on for them. So picking up, thinking of grief more like a spectrum rather than a continuum. Yeah, that's right. And and it never, you know, often grief sits somewhere within us, you know, in the acute phases of, of, of a significant loss, you know, we might see people uh, are withdrawn or are crying or are angry or or any of those ranges of responses. And sometimes, you know, due to processes or a period of time, it stops being so acute, but it often can still sit somewhere within us. Yeah. We'll move on from that into point number two, which is there is no such thing as normal grief. No, that's right. So it would be great if there was. It would make relationships so much easier and it would really kind of provide us all with like, oh, okay, this means that I'm doing okay, this means that I don't. Grief is actually often quite frightening for people. Uh, It can create really big feelings or feelings that are brand new for us. But it's just like you couldn't say this is what a, in inverted commas, normal person looks like, or this is the normal temperature for a curry, or this is what a normal sense of humour looks like. There's no such thing as normal grief. Um, People often talk about, is this complicated grief? Thomas Attic, who is one of the most famous authors around and researchers around grief, often says that grief by its very nature is complicated, you know, because we're often relearning a world without that thing, without that experience, without that person, without that relationship. So I guess some of the things that um, people often say, like, is this normal? (laughs) Some of the reasons that we grieve, some of the things that grief is dependent on is our age. So if I'm three 
and my grandmother dies, that may be completely different than if I'm 33 or if I'm 60. So the reason that it's different is because we have different developmental understandings of grief. So children, for instance, their grief is very developmental. So if they have a significant grief event when they're three, they'll actually keep re-experiencing that as with each new age and developmental stage, they're like, oh, that's what it means to lose my dad. Oh, like this is what it means now at this age. So they haven't been in denial, they're just experiencing it differently. Whereas adults, you know, their age may provide some new perspective, but often it's like life experience will impact the way that we grieve. We know that um, if you've had your previous loss experiences can impact the way that you grieve. So if you're someone who has had a lot of significant loss throughout the course of your life, that may be very different from someone else who's having their first grief experience uh, at the age of 32. We know that um, people who have different faiths that can you know, change the way that people grieve, change the way that they make sense of their grief. The research is actually quite interesting that it's not so much, well, maybe your faith is obviously very important for people, particularly if they believe if it's around death and they believe their loved one has gone somewhere better or, you know, somewhere safe or somewhere where they're going to be reunited, that can impact the way people grieve. Equally, we know that people who belong to a faith often have a strong community around them and that also helps the way that people grieve. Um, there's a, a fictional novel called The Sisters Brothers and it has a great quote in it that says, grief reveals us. And I, I think that's true. What grief does is often the parts of ourselves that we might lock away or, or may not share publicly very often, often during a grief event, those things bubble to the surface and it's why grief can feel so frightening. People who are normally very well in control of their lives um, decide what sort of face the public see Grief can strip all of that away and make people feel quite raw and exposed. And I guess the other thing that I was really curious about with this is that the the distinctions, if any, between professional grief and personal grief. So I've been fortunate to have relatively small, significant personal losses, a few, but mm. relatively fortunate. Um, but I've experienced huge doses of working for 15 years in intensive care and critical care environments of, of professional grief. Um, is there differences in terms of how we deal with those things? Is there anything that we can kind of learn through those as distinctions as well when we're talking on this? We could do a whole podcast on this. You know, this is quite tricky because, again, it's, you know, like it depends what's going on for people in their lives, how well connected they are, what their support structures is as to how, you know, they're going to be able to integrate this grief experience into their overall functioning. But if if I'm speaking really broadly, often the big difference with personal grief is, is that it's a significant change or disruption to your day-to-day life habits, etc. So if anything, God forbid, was to happen to my husband, that grief is so much more profound because when I go home at night, I expect to see him there. Um, he makes our bed every morning. So (laughs) that's something I don't have to worry about. You know, it's all the little habits. So the first time I get up and he's not there and hasn't made the bed, it's like a painful reminder every single day. Um, He likes to go and fill my car full of, you know, fuel or whatever. You know, it's all of those undoing of the habits that make the grief um, so much more profound and the longing so much more profound than a professional grief. 
The professional grief, though, can be really acute um, in that sometimes we're really identifying with someone. Sometimes within health, we've had long relationships. You know, when I worked in cystic fibrosis, for example, or in oncology, some of those kids we'd known for like a decade. And so their death felt personal. Like it was a professional grief, but it felt personal because you have birthday cards for them or you get, you know, you had a photo with them with Santa when they, when they came to the hospital, you know, it can feel personal. So sometimes even being able to say, am I grieving as a professional or am I grieving just as a human being can be tricky. I think the other thing though that can happen is, is that there's a huge accumulation you know, there's a cumulative effect uh, when you work in an area where there is constant death or constant grief, you know, just illness, injury, trauma. You and I have both, both worked a long time in ED and ICU. Then sometimes there's just this accumulation of so much sorrow that we have absorbed and absorbed and absorbed. And sometimes that can become overwhelming. And I guess the thing is, is that often with our personal grief, um, you know, you you don't really get a say in that. Professional grief, you know, we have holidays, we have days off, et cetera, where you can tap out and perhaps preserve yourself. You don't get that when it's a personal grief, even if it's a breakup, you know, that, that terrible heart-wrenching pain you feel when you feel like, you know, the love of your life has left you uh, can, can be hard. So, there's no clear answers with this personal and professional because all of us are bringing our life history, our context, where we are in this point in time, whether we're robust or, you know, we're vulnerable and then something else piles on. I guess the thing is, is to ask ourselves almost to have a curiosity about it. Like why has this case, you know, why has this patient and their family hit me so hard? And then to reflect what, you know, I didn't do this just as, a, as an observer. You know, why was I involved? What keeps me here in this role? What was the meaning behind me being exposed to this? And I think if people can eventually tap into that, on top of, you know, you're allowed to be super sad and cry and be disillusioned and all those things that happen as professionals. But if we can tap into meaning and personal, you know, purpose behind why we were exposed and why we understand it, that can be protective. So I think we've somewhat artificially detached coping from an episode on grief and loss, but uh, just to, to kind of highlight that we will be circling back to um, explore the mind of Liz Crow on um, coping and the developmental aspects of coping, I guess, as health professionals in a future episode. So that's a little teaser for what's to come. So point number three is grief does not occur in stages and is not cured by time. Look, I think these are the two biggest furfies you ever hear about loss and grief constantly. And for people who are grieving, it's quite painful to hear, I think. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross um, did so, such a significant and important role in bringing anything on grief to the fore in some th- sort of theoretical framework. So Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, which is denial, of it, that, that's, you know, like, no, this can't be happening to me. <laughs> Anger, which is self-explanatory. Bargaining, which is usually us negotiating with a higher being or negotiating with the universe. Like, please don't let this happen to my brother and then I'll be a good person. Yeah, you I'll know. stop drinking. Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll, you know, get three World Vision children. You know, like where we're really trying to say I'll be a better person if, 
if you don't allow this to happen or if you take this pain away. The fourth was depression, which is I think we could really call more sadness. Uh, and the fifth was acceptance. And, you know, later in life, Kubler-Ross agreed that acceptance was probably not the right term for uh, loss and grief, that really it's probably more about meaning making, you know, like trying to find some sort of meaning or purpose to what has happened. But the really important thing is, is that we've moved away from that. Often people in grief will experience those five things, but they also might experience many other emotions and they don't happen in a linear structure. So I say to people, it's not like getting in a car and saying, right, I'm having a grief experience, but I'm just going to pull in, just going to pull in here and uh, stay for a while and, and be in denial. Like, no, no, this isn't happening. I can't. And then, oh, you know what? That's over. I'm just going to go through the drive through yeah. bargaining for <laughs> yeah. a little bit. You know, yeah. it doesn't happen like that. You can bounce back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, nine years later, you can be really angry again. So it's not a linear structural thing, which I think lots of people hold hold on to. Like, okay, I'm really angry today and I know this is going to pass and then it won't come back. And, I, you know, you can't promise someone that. So I think rather than thinking of it as stages is just think like there are, there are waves, there are a whole range of things and they can loop back around uh, depending on what the loss and grief experience is and how significant it was to you. The other thing is, is that, you know, it'd be great if time really did heal. But, you know, my sister died 52 years ago. Uh, my whole family still feels that pain, especially my parents. Now, I don't see them cry every single day, obviously, but it doesn't take much, particularly for my mum, to feel that gut-wrenching heartache. It's, you know, it sits somewhere just below the surface the way I like to describe this is, is that, you know, time doesn't heal, but often with time, it doesn't stay as raw and painful as it is in those early weeks, months, years, right? And, you know, I if you and I both had a sibling loss, you know, how you react and how I react goes back to that point number two, like our past experiences, our culture, our understanding, our developmental phase, uh, etc. So, you you can't say this is what happened for me, so this is what is going to happen for you. There was some beautiful research done on bereaved parents, which is obviously where I have spent the most amount of my loss and grief experience in paediatrics, that said what they asked people to do was very early in their bereavement phase, they asked them to draw a circle that represented their life and a circle that represented their grief. And most people, if you imagine, you know, an A4 piece of paper, they put a tiny dot, just a dot in the middle, that was life, and they drew their grief as far as they could around the edges of that paper. When they went back several years later and asked them to repeat the episode, most people were expecting that, you know, that life had gotten, you know, so much bigger or that their grief had gotten smaller. But in actual fact, what happened was often the grief stayed exactly the same. It was like right almost to the edges, but the their life had grown around it. So the grief didn't shrink, life just grew around it. And for some people, that life can grow around quickly. And for some people, that is 
that is how the rest of their life is seen. And I say to people, when you've had a significant grief event, it's often like someone has given you an invisible pair of glasses and then that's the lens of which you see the world from that day forward. Yeah. And look, I, I understand why it's really tempting to just think of there's stages or there's that, that time heals it because it, it implies it's a passive process and that it's, it's something that we don't have to really dig into to, to get through or survive or learn to live again within it. So that brings us really beautifully to your point four, which is living with grief is exhausting and recovery is active. Yeah. So look, often um, people who have had a significant grief event, um, and that can be, you know, becoming unemployed all of a sudden. Uh, it can be losing your house through bankruptcy. Uh, it can be a relationship breakdown or it can be a death. Keep saying to me, why am I so muddled in my thinking? You know, like why I've got why have I got this terrible fog in my brain? Grief is exhausting. You know, like and the problem with grief is we can't see it. I can't look at you and think there's a person who is grieving. I grew up in Mackay, and uh, my part of my cultural heritage is Maltese. Like my mum is from Malta, and the. Maltese women, as did a lot of the Italian women in the local area, you know, like after they had a bereavement, they wore a black dress every single day and they would wear like a, a black lace kerchief, hanky sort of thing on their heads. And they would do that at least for 12 months, but some of them never, ever wore colour again. And while people might be like, well, I'm gl- glad we've moved away from that, it at least really identified, you know, this is a bereaved person. And so, you know, if they cut in line and you, it, it coals or whatever, you would cut them a bit of slack. But we often cannot see how huge that exhaustion is. And because it's so time consuming, it's, it makes everything else really difficult to negotiate. So the reason I think it is time consuming is we all have something that's called an assumptive world theory. You know, this afternoon, I assume that I'm going to meet my husband, I'm going to do a walk of the river loop, we're going to have dinner, then we're going to go home and uh, watch a TV series. That's what I assume is going to happen. If something happened to him, that alters not just what's going to happen for my evening, that alters the whole entire course of my life. And so a part of that grief is not just the sadness, it is redoing or reimagining or replanning your entire life. And that's why it's exhausting. And beyond habit, like more just what you thought the rules of the universe were. Yeah, particularly, yeah. you know, if I, you think I'm a good person, I did the right thing, I don't deserve this. You know, and I, I often say, well, who does? Who does? Like it's so hard. So that's why recovery, and it's not healed, it's not moving on, it's like learning to live with the grief, it's an active process. At some point, you probably have to fight your way back. It may not happen intuitively. So, you know, like if you don't feel like getting out of bed, that can last a very long time. You got to fight your way out. You've got to do all of those normal principles of well-being, like drinking water, eating nutritional food, catching up with other people who care about you, getting outside, getting some sunlight, moving your body, all of those things, even when you don't feel like it, are very important. I can't think of a recent time when get, staying in bed has made me want to get out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, like this, it's, this is hard. And, you know, if you're trying to support someone 
who's really grieving. It's hard to know how to push, how hard to push. And look, in the early days to weeks, don't push at all. You know, like go and climb into bed with them and bring them some, I always think a toasted sandwich. Yeah, in a very platonic (laughs) sense. Um, But, you know, like meet them where they are, accept them. Judith Murray has a beautiful phrase called sitting in the rubble, which I'm often accredited to. It's not mine. Um, But, you know, sitting in the rubble is about learning to just say wherever you're at, you know, I'm not going to try and say anything to fix this. I'm I'm not able to do that. There's no magic words, but I'm going to sit with your buddy as long as you need it. Yeah, and and help tidy up. Yeah, if, if you get to that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're going to close the loop on this and come to point five, which is grief is a part of life and demonstrates a life of meaning and love. This is a really nice way to look at it. Well, you know, it's not just a nice way. It's what I actually really believe and what I've observed and what I've understood. Grief for everybody means that something or someone has been incredibly important to you. Your career has been important. Your health has been important. Your relationships have been important. You know, where you live in the street or the travels that you've had or the adventures have been important. And so when you lose that, it hurts. And the alternative is, is to live a life of nothing. Like the only way to avoid ever experiencing loss and grief is to live a life devoid of life. That's the only way. And none of us want to do that. There's a very tacky movie called Steel Magnolias, which we all used to love and watch at university. Every time someone broke up with a boy, we used to watch Steel Magnolias. And in it, Julia Roberts is, uh, ends up dying, but she has a line where she says, I'd rather 30 minutes of wonderful than a lifetime full of nothing special. And I think that's what loss and grief is about. Now, that's not trauma. <laughs> that's a very separate thing to trauma. That's this, We're not talking about violence. We're not talking about people being assaulted or, you know, having something stripped away because of abuse. This is around loss and grief. And so, you know, all of us can think about, you know, and for some people listening now, you're going through a terrible breakup. You know, nothing can feel as painful as a relationship breaking down and that can be your first love or it can be your partner of 30 years walking out on your marriage. However, you know, the option is to just cut ourselves off and for for anyone and hopefully they get to a phase where they're like, you know what, there were some lovely, important, meaningful, joyous things that came out of that relationship and that time has ended. You know, that it wasn't a failure, it's just that time has ended and hopefully with time we can look forward and think I'm, I would welcome love back into my life of whatever nature. So I think the thing is is that grief, while it's painful and we'd love to all avoid it, we can't do it if we're going to live a life that is meaning, meaningful and purposeful. So I get uh, the – You have to do the summary. I, I, yeah, uh-huh. no, love, love this. I get to watch you do- you squirm around something that you're not an expert in each week and now I get a chance to. Awesome. Um, so p- point number one was what is loss and grief? And so loss is the, well, the loss of something that was was important to us, formed part of our identity, part of the habits of our day or part of just the world that is just central to our existence. Yep. Grief is the manifestation of the our response to that loss was, I guess – the simplest that I could take from that. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Two, there is no such thing as normal grief. It's so tempting to just have this is normal grief, this person's going to do fine over there, they've had a bit of a cry at the front um, versus this person is just 
shut down, quiet, not doing anything. There's a, there's a whole range of different um, spectrum of responses rather than just a linear of normal to maladaptive or normal to complicated, complicated as you yeah. said. Um, and by its very nature and by the dependency of, of the impact of the loss, um, by the dependency of how that reshapes our view of what the rules of the world are, we're going to have a whole range of different uh, responses to that. As you said, by its nature, it is complicated. Very. Um, which means the coping strategies are going to be many and varied and different for every individual, yep. um, which we will come back to in a future episode. Yeah. And I also, sorry, I forgot to say that, you know, grief is not depression. It can definitely look like it, but can, will can become pretty grey and dark. And grief can, you know, it can proceed to become depression over a course of time, but grief is not depression. In the same way that sadness is not depression. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, number three, it was grief that does not occur in stages and is not cured by time. I really loved the the research work that you cited around the drawing of grief um, by bereaved parents of being a, life being a speck within a whole page circle of grief, and then down down the track the grief hasn't shrunk, but life has grown. The life circle has grown within it. I think that was really nice, and it's a contrast to um, the excellent work that Kubler Ross did in popularizing grief as uh, like bringing it to the front as a thing that's talked about mm. um, and by its nature often when there's a popularization of a topic to the mainstream it can be a bit oversimplified so number four was that living with grief is exhausting and recovery is active there's no other way to put it than it's just hard work grieving is very hard work it's heavy it's a dense fog was i think what what you used and the ac- active sort of steps into that may be quite slow Mm. Um, or some people will jump straight back in and then then be consumed again by the fog. Again, this is a nonlinear process. Right. And I think the uh, the point that you made in there is if you're being a companion to someone or a support or a good friend to someone who is grieving, that but just being there is is enough to start with, and not trying to actually force someone into those active pursuits um, when they're not ready. They're for not it. ready. That's right. And then. Number five was a really beautiful capstone in that to, to grieve, we have to have loved something enough or had it meant something enough for us to experience a significant loss from the loss of that. So it means we've had a life of love, meaning, purpose, um, connection to actually experience that. When we bring that to the forefront of our mind, that can be better than the alternative Oh, yeah, must, much better. And, you know, to grieve is to have lived and that, you know, we all want to experience that in our lives, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much for your time as a guest, Dr. Liz Crow. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Oh, thank you. And we look forward to welcoming everyone next week. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. 
please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at LizCrow2. And for me, it's inject underscore orange. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or feedback. Thanks for listening to Five Things 